This is Franchise Today, brought to you by FRM Solutions, providers of the best-in-class software solutions for franchise relationship management. Franchise Today is your destination for weekly information, conversations, and interviews with accomplished industry leaders, all of whom share best practices for sustainable growth and sensible franchising. Here now, your host, Stan Friedman, to kick off this week's podcast. Today is Wednesday, August 10th. I'm Stan Friedman, and this is Franchise Today. Well, Labor Day week is just three weeks away and I'm already starting to get a little giddy. For most of you, Labor Day marks the official end of summer. But for me, that weekend marks my annual pilgrimage to the chicken wing capital of the world, the mecca of all things associated with wings. I'm talking about Buffalo, New York, and the National Buffalo Wing Festival. An exciting time for me every year, but this year even more so. Each year as chairman of the National Buffalo Wing Hall of Flame, I get to preside over the selection and then induction into the Hall of Flame of those who have played a significant role in helping the chicken wing ascend to the center of the plate from the trash can where wings used to be deposited before Teresa Bellissimo and her son Dominic and a group of his friends changed all of that locally nearly 60 years ago at Buffalo, New York's Anchor Bar. Since then, wings have grown regionally, nationally, and globally, and we celebrate it all each year at the festival with these inductions into the Hall of Flame. Yes, I get to do all of that again this year, but this year too, those very honors will be conferred upon me as well by none other than the Wing King himself, Drew Serza, who along with the rest of my Hall of Flame committee have seen fit to bestow those honors on me as well last year, but due to COVID, I couldn't make the trip. So my thanks to you, Festival founder and Wing King himself, Drew Serza. Committee members Brian Whitman of Walt Disney fame, legendary Hall of Flame honoree and Buffalo News columnist Don Esmond, and to Hall of Flamer committee member and Buffalo Wild Wings co-founder Scott Lowry for inviting me into this Brotherhood of the Wing. This year the festival's venue is none other than Highmark Stadium, home of the Buffalo Bills. And yes, the ceremonies and the festival itself will be held right there on the field of play. So I can barely wait, just like a little kid counting down the weeks and days until Santa hits the chimney. But wait I must. And until then, duty calls, which means that now it's time for me to thank last week's guest, Chuck Bongiovanni, co-founder and CEO of Majestic Resonances, for turning in a stellar performance right here on Franchise Today. You know, it's not every week that we get to hear from someone that has successfully founded or grown not one, but two amazing brands. And as co-founder and former CEO of Care Patrol, Chuck gets to check that box. More amazing, too, is that this week's guest makes a similar claim. That's right. When I return in two minutes or less, I'll explain why. As I introduce you to Greg Majewski, CEO of Mongolian Concepts Restaurant Group. But first, a quick timeout. Franchise Today will be right back. But first, a word from our sponsors. Hey, franchisors of restaurants, bars, grills, and taverns, and multi-unit franchisees, listen up. This message is for you. Atmosphere TV wants to help you cut costs on overpriced cable TV for your business and either replace it completely or partially if sports programming is essential at your locations. What Atmosphere TV provides are 100% 
free programming options with more than 50 channels of highly engaging and entertaining programming that is audio optional and guaranteed to please your customers and even increase their average ticket per visit. So here's how it works. Atmosphere hooks you up with an Apple TV HD receiver loaded with more than 50 channels of fully licensed, no cost to you, fun and lifestyle programming. These channels include Chive and Red Bull TV, bloopers, superhuman feats, and an array of viewing options that don't require sound to be enjoyed. And this offer is not just limited to restaurants or bars. No, any business with a TV screen in its waiting room can benefit from Atmosphere's free programming offer as well. So what are you waiting for? Cut the cord on overpriced cable and get Atmosphere TV with its 100% free, engaging, and entertaining programming options. Keep your guests happy while they wait to see you instead of watching the clock and their wait times. Chiropractors, doctors, dentists, auto repair shops, anyone with TVs in your waiting rooms, jump onto this amazing offer today. And if you text the word FRANCHISE to 474747, Atmosphere will waive the $100 setup fee for the Apple TV HD receiver that they'll ship to you as well at no cost. Atmosphere TV, changing the way businesses view television. Find them online at atmosphere.tv and remember, text FRANCHISE to 474747 for the no-charge Apple receiver. Cut the cord and get rid of cable today with Atmosphere TV. Today, as CEO of Mongolian Concepts Restaurant Group, Greg Majewski sits at the helm of three brands, Genghis Grill, Flat Top Grills, and BD's Mongolian. But this restaurant and franchise executive checks the box for growing more than this current roster of brands on his watch. No, straight out of college. 20 years ago, Greg went from the role of accounting apprentice to controller, from controller to CFO, then from CFO to COO, and ultimately straight to the top of the house as CEO of none other than Jimmy John's. Yes, over the course of five years, Greg contributed to the growth of that iconic sandwich chain from 30 or so stores when he joined to more than 300 on his watch. And he's well on his way to doing it all over again with Mongolian Concepts. And he's here today to tell us all about it. Greg Majewski, welcome to Franchise Today. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Stan. I look forward to spending the afternoon with you. Well, I look forward to our time together as well. There are so many touch points and places that we could go, but we have to start the way we start all the time, and that's by asking how franchising found you, because I'm certain you didn't go to school with the intention of winding up as a franchise executive, but somehow that happened, didn't it? (laughs) Yeah, you can say that again. So I actually was going to school at University of Kentucky um, to get my uh, accounting degree. And I was actually hired to do international tax accounting for a company called Arthur Anderson back then. They told me to take the semester off. And so I put in for internships and trying to find a spot to work. And out of the blue, an individual by the name of Jimmy John called me. At that time, it was 1998. I had no clue what Jimmy John's was. I've never heard of what a Jimmy John sandwich was, no idea who he was, anything about it. But he had gotten my resume through a family friend. And so I called home that night and asked my dad, dad, do you know who this guy is? And he goes, I know he has a small little sub shop. I know his dad, we do some work for him in our family business. You should probably talk to him. And so I called him back and had a conversation with Jimmy. And next thing I know, I was sitting in his house in Chicago and 
we were talking about what I could do and if I wanted to join his team. And that's sort of how franchising found me. So put a label on that year-wise. What year was this? <clears throat> that would have been uh, summer of 1998. And you spent how many years there? I was with Jimmy until 2003. And um, during that time, I got the experience to grow from coming in as a intern, moving up from controller to CFO to chief operating officer and then CEO and then joining the company when they had about 35 restaurants open and another 30 sold and leaving when we had opened up my 300 restaurant and number 700 sold. So you've got a couple of notches on the gun, I would say. And we want to talk about some of those today as, as we kind of unpack your story. So before we do that, I want to ask too, though, about a couple of other things that appear in your profile, which is that you're not only the CEO of Mongolian Concepts Restaurant Group, but also of something called Wildcat Investments, which still ties you in some ways to the Jimmy John's brand, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm still a franchisee of Jimmy John's. I believe in that brand and more than anything, it was a baby. It was how I grew up in the restaurant industry. And I'm passionate about it. I still think it's the best sub sandwich around. And at this time, I'm still a franchisee because of it. We have nine units open at this point. And so what else does Wildcat invest in? We invest in a concept called Sigri Indian Barbecue, Budlong uh, Hot Chicken, a burger concept called Crafted, another concept called Jersey's Pizza and Grill. We're continually looking for new and young and upcoming brands that we can either acquire and help franchise or develop in ourselves and then hopefully franchise them. So we're constantly looking. And then the last two months, Bud Long just came into the family. It sounds like you've got quite an organization in Wildcat beyond your own executive responsibilities <laughs> for Mongolian uh, concepts. Yeah. I mean, between the two, Mongolian and Wildcat, we're just under 2,800 employees, store level and above. We manage or are a part of over 100 restaurants between the two companies. Well, that's quite an experience, quite, a, quite an organization. So take us back coming out of college those first days at Jimmy John's and tell us how that looked coming out of school with a degree in accounting, planning to go into this new role and be working in an accounting department in a company that happens to be a franchise company, but that's your first exposure to franchising other than perhaps eating a sandwich from a place that is a franchise is what I understand, correct? Uh, Yes, that's correct. I mean, walking in for the first time, it was like walking into a time warp. Um, restaurants, especially when you were starting and back then, they weren't very sophisticated on the accounting side or the office side, especially when you're, you were getting started. So Jimmy, as good as he was running an operation and as good as his food was and as fast as he was and everything else, his backside of his accounting system was non-existent. So the first thing that he told me that I had to do was modernize his accounting system and coming out of school and being told, okay, now put me where we need to be um, and get it to run like the restaurants run was my first challenge, my first week that I was there. So we started putting in the accounting and the systems and the procedures in place to have a better scorecard so the managers and the operations teams could see what the results were and how to better themselves. And how long was that first mile marker on your career path? How long were in that role before you got recognized as having more to give than what you were currently doing? About three months. It was was a rocket ship at that point. 
So sandwich uh, delivery is not the only thing that moves freaky fast there then, right? I mean, Jimmy took me under his wing instantly and then just started to give me more and more and more responsibilities until there was a point that I couldn't handle anymore. So quickly after starting was controller, um, got the title of CFO, had some operation issues where the operations team sort of disappeared and had a falling out, was thrown into operations. When Jimmy told me that I had to manage the operation side, I hadn't ran a restaurant yet, uh, Jimmy John's yet. And I instantly got in my car and drove to West Lafayette and worked with the manager who was our best manager, highest volume store at that time by the name of Bob Norman. And Bob thought for sure he was going to break me. And so it became this game on who would get there earlier and who would work longer as I was getting trained on how to run a Jimmy John's. And Bob worked night shifts because that was all where all the volume was. All the volume in West Lafayette was at night. So he took the busiest shifts and he ran it and he thought he'd break me. And so by the end of the month that I was there, we started coming in and we were both getting there at nine, 10 o'clock in the morning and working until three o'clock at night because I wasn't going to be broken. It was something that I wanted to do. And it was something that I wanted to endear myself to where I fell in love with the business so much that it was fun. And we were having a blast. And I thank Jimmy for those type of things. But back then I was thanking Bob because he was the best we had in the system. And he took me under his wing and taught me the brand in a consolidated window so then I can continue to evolve. And then what came next? You're now COO. Uh, yep. I was still CFO and COO. And then about a year later, um, I got the title of CEO. So at that point, I was 23 or 24 years old. And I was CEO at that time, one of the fastest growing restaurants companies in America. So did you succeed Jimmy in that role? Was he the CEO and handed the reins to you? Yes. At that point, he handed the reins to me and he became chairman for the time that I was there. That had to be a pretty daunting experience. It was a little heady. (laughs) Yeah, it was an amazing experience. And the fact that this man trusted me and taught me and took me under his arm back then as a fresh kid out of college is incredible. And today, would that have happened? Probably not. But Back then and the way the industry was and stuff like that, it was it was a different time. And I was in the right place at the right time with the right person to teach me an industry that I've fallen in love with. And Jimmy is one of the best operators in the world. He preaches perfect product, hospital clean, free fast delivery, those type of things. And he lived and died it every day. And it's something that I continue to breathe and live and put those same sort of principles in place in every restaurant that I'm a part of. But Jimmy was a, he was an incredible individual that took a gamble on a kid. And because of that, I've had a wonderful career that now looking at it, I've been in the restaurant industry 23, 24 years now. Most people at this time are retiring and I'm just starting my second real chapter because he took a gamble on me so young. Well, we're going to get into more of the current day chapter, but I don't want to let go of the Jimmy John story just yet. Jimmy told me when I had him on, we did an episode together on Franchise Today where we talked about franchising gives back and we talked about benevolence in franchising and Jimmy almost he actually came to tears in, at some portion of our discussion as we were chronicling all of the things that he and Leslie have done to give back and to help create successes in others. I heard stories then about kids that were coming out for training and they had metal on their faces and Jimmy would ask them if they were happy with that still or might they want to get a new look and he'd pay to do it. I just heard about amazing things from him that aren't your conventional philanthropy, that that he's just got this wallet and heart that go together and there's a never-ending supply of love and money for people in need. 
Is that the Jimmy John you know? That's the Jimmy that I know. I mean, we did so many things for different managers and stuff like that that were unconventional, to say the least. And he always wanted to make sure that his team and the people that were around him were taken care of. And he, instead of always paying the most at times, he would do things that were not heard of, helping with fertility for a manager that we had and his wife. That was the bigger one, paying for all the treatments. As you said, braces for an employee, just an hourly employee that couldn't afford to have them because he was a hard worker. The stories go on and on and on about what he would do, and they were, they're all true. I know there's some other stories out there that paint Jimmy as something else, but the man has an extremely huge heart and would always make sure that his team and his staff was taken care of. He worked you to death um, <laughs> and expect to put in more time than you can possibly imagine but it was fun and we were it was exciting and it was something new for all of us at that time including jimmy and we got to do things and give back and award harleys and all these other type of things that were just unheard of which allowed us to build the culture that we needed to be as cocky and as successful as we were back then because at that point nobody thought jimmy jones was going to survive i mean i remember going to a conference and being told by an executive at subway that point blank you guys will never touch us and i sort of laughed at him and, <laughs> and said yeah we will we developed that swagger and that chip on our shoulder that was necessary to compete against everybody that thought we'd fail and back then nobody thought what we were doing was going to be the hottest and in my eyes one of the top four restaurant chains today well there's just two more questions i'm going to ask before we move on from jimmy john to the current day he told me in that interview in that conversation too that he had made millionaires out of 17 of his executives that had stayed with him through those growth years true that is true were you one of them i left before that so can he say that I am a millionaire because of him? Without a doubt. Well, that's fair and equitable. That's a nice benevolent answer. So I want to ask you one last question about the Jimmy John's world and that as a franchisee today in the current day under Inspire Brands, how do you see the brand and the differences in it between the days that you were in leadership, bringing it up to the point where a company like Inspire would make an acquisition of a Jimmy John's? I think once you get to a certain size, it's hard for a company to continue down the same type of personal relationships that you would have with each and every franchisee. One of the things that we took great pride in was when we walked into our stores, we weren't there to be cops. We were there to help them be successful in their business. And that was something that we put in place right away because we knew that our franchisees had to grow. If we were going to grow, our franchisees had to be successful. So we went out of our way to find ways to help our franchisees reach those next levels, open up their next stores, go in, coach them, lead them, champion them, have have our consultants come in and clean the bathroom or clean the toilets or scrub the floors when they were there because we knew we needed them to buy into what our culture was and where we wanted to go so they would open up more stores. As you get to somewhere now with Inspire, that can't be the exact same. But what Inspire is bringing to the table that Jimmy didn't because he was so in love with five meats, one cheese, two bread doughs, you're starting to see the brand evolve to keep pace with some of the other competitors that are out there that we weren't doing back then because we were able to be the best with five meats, two bread doughs, two 
two bread doughs, one cheese. Now you're starting to see LTOs and stuff like that, that we could not have done back then because we just didn't have the support structure or the infrastructure in place to be able to spit those things out to help constantly drive traffic back then. So two completely different organizations, both of them terrific, but different focuses on where you need to go and what you're trying to do now. Interesting choice of words to get focus into the sentence. I saw what you did with that. (laughs) All right, I'll tell you what let's do, Greg. Let's take a quick break and take a deeper dive into today's world. And we'll do that with Greg Majewski, CEO of Wildcat Investments and Mongolian Concept Restaurant Group, franchisors of Genghis Grill, Flat Top Grill, and BD's Mongolian. We're back after a quick break. Franchise Today will be right back. But first, a word from our sponsors. We are all familiar with Vistage, YPO, and EO. Well, now comes Zorforum, a somewhat similar type of executive group. But this one comes with a twist. Zorforum groups are exclusively for franchisors. Imagine a peer group for sharing and networking on a platform built exclusively for franchise executives. Zorforum members are afforded unparalleled access to best practices and some of the brightest minds within the franchising world through regular meetings and a dedicated communications platform. In this post-COVID world, a franchise-specific mastermind or peer group is an endeavor worth making time for. Zorforum groups of 6 to 10 will bring leaders together that are in similar situations, but with exclusivity in terms of their competitive set so that each can openly help others benefit from their respective knowledge, perspective, and experience with no fear of competitive loss. Network, learn, strategize, and remain motivated along your journey. Join a peer group, not just any peer group. Join the only one designed for emerging franchisors. Join Zorforum. Learn more at Zorforum.com. That's www.Zorforum.com. And the conversation today continues with Greg Majewski, CEO of Wildcat Investments and Mongolian Concepts, franchisors of Genghis Grill, Flat Top Grill, and BD's Mongolian Grill. So with all of that as a foundation, Greg, you left Jimmy Johnson 03 and you left to do what? It was time. I wanted to go out on my own and have and build my own business. And so I left. I started acquiring Jimmy John's franchisees like people would flip houses. I mean, we would buy and sell different stores as quickly because we could fix them. Extremely easy, in my opinion, because I knew how to do it. It's what I was doing. Did that, got offers from basically every major company in the restaurant industry today to come in and either be COO, CFO, a couple of CEO positions. And I just didn't want to go and work for anyone else. I wanted to go out and do it on my own again. Started a consulting side, have consulted and started businesses that are now between four and 500 restaurants for different brands that are out there today. I've consulted for 40 or 50 different major restaurant companies since I left. And I've been, got to spend time with my family, which at that point was really, really important because right before I left Jimmy John's, my wife and I had a little girl that passed away. And that just sort of, at that moment, it just sort of changed my philosophy and what I wanted to do. And that's how I got to where I am today and what I've been doing. And then about two years ago, a concept called Mongolian Concepts, and I sort of crossed paths and did my due diligence and stuff like that. And then I got involved and took an ownership position in that business. And that's where we are today. So let's learn more about these Mongolian grill concepts, Genghis, Flat Top, and BDs. And tell us about the value proposition of these brands, where they are, what consumers find there that they don't find elsewhere that keep them coming back as loyal fans. 
So when we first got started, all three brands were in need of a refresh or a reimage. They had all been running on their morals since they had basically started. Some of them have gone through different changes and evolutions that didn't work and stuff like that, but there was no real focus or systems or procedures or the quality of food just wasn't what it should have been. So the first year that, well, almost 18 months now that I've been running it is sort of developing a unique brand voice for all three brands and differentiating them between each other. So originally when the concepts came together, they tried to make them all one just with different names. And they were so different in what they were that didn't work. So we had to go back and instantly start to change them back to be their individual brands and their individual brand identities. So let's address Flattop first. Flattop is a Chicago and Midwest-based company. At one point, they had 20-some restaurants open. They're down to five now with two new locations going to open, hopefully by this year. It's a bowl concept. Like all three of the brands, they were create your own bowl, create your own meal. Flattop does all their sauces and a little bit higher in rent districts, a little bit more urban. So we did a full brand re-imagery and stuff like that to sort of take what was successful with that brand when it first got started and bring it back to the forefront. High quality ingredients, unique sauces, cooked on a flat top with your choice of unlimited toppings and all that, and that you can go and create your own bowl. What we then pivoted to because of COVID and because it was customers sometimes make bad food because they don't know when they first walk in, we added a line of chef-created bowls here that were high-end, chef-driven with unique flavors and stuff like that. So people that could came in and didn't want to touch the food and didn't want to go up and make the items anymore had solutions for them. We also added ramen and pokey to this brand. And as of today, before that, their chef bowls that they had on the menu amounted to between 2 and 3% of sales. We're now doing 25% of the new chef-created bowls and new menu items out of that store, which is also a huge driver in food cost and stuff like that and increased profitability. So BD's Mongolian Grill is also a Midwest base for the most part. Build your own bowl concept. It was started by Billy Downs back in the early 90s, and I had my first taste of it actually in Ann Arbor when I was working for Jimmy John's. Great concept. At that time, high-quality ingredients unique sauces that you would go ahead and create your own food and then hang out with your friends as they cooked it on the grill. Over the course of time, quality and sauce content and all that has deteriorated. So again, brand refresh here, improve the quality of the products, get back to what it was known for because back in the day, it was great food. So put the food back in primary focus, go all in on the Asian fusion in this restaurant so it could have a staple. Now eat homemade sauces, unique flavors, trendy, upscale bowls that you can create yourself or we'll do them for you. And that has rolled out now to all corporate stores with franchisees hoping to roll it out in the next 12 months. And that again is amounting to before their chef created bowls are about two to three points. And now we're about 15 all in there. Genghis is the concept that I'm most excited about instantly because it is the most similar to my past. It's an everyday, multiple times a month, environment where you can come in and create any bowl you want over many different bases and a small footprint with good food that you create. When Genghis was being its best, it had flavors across the board. It wasn't all focused on Asian. So we went back to that. We introduced jambalaya. We introduced a basil pesto in this line and just brought the sauces back to be an everyday sauce. So you, you can eat the food multiple times a week where prior you had to be in the mood for Asian or ethnic ingredients and stuff like that. And that was pigeonholing us. So now we're a bowl concept. New branding, new market 
marketing new push there to increase customer frequency. What does the footprint look like for these brands? Are these and are they all fast casual? You walk down a make line or how does that work? So Genghis new footprint is between two and 2,600 square feet in the prototype locations. Currently, the old stores are about 6,000, just massive boxes that didn't make economic sense for anybody. Here, walk down a make line, pick your ingredients, pick your proteins. Chef turns around, turns it on the grill for you. BD's is your old fashioned Chili's type box, huge box that is the central environment is at the grill. It's a party at the grill. You sort of, the grill masters are showmen doing tricks, stuff like that, why people eat and wait for their food to be prepared. Flat top is a 3,000 to 3,600 square feet. Very elegant, fast, casual would be the best way to describe that one. What about food consumed off-premise versus on-premise? Flat top and BDs is a slower roll. They're doing about 20%, between 15 and 20% off-premise with a goal of getting to 35% in the next five years. Because of their size and where they were, that was a struggle to get to now that people are coming back off-premise will be an easier fix. We've also taken huge technology strides on those two brands so we can actually perform off-premise. Gingis was ahead of the curve off-premise at the time COVID happened and had already implemented a better online ordering platform and stuff like that. So they're running about 32% off-premise today with a goal of getting to 50% in the next three years. So if you had a crystal ball with all that we've been through in the last two years, you're working with three relatively almost clean slates, right, of young concepts that you're reinventing. What do you see on the horizon, both for Mongolian concepts as well as for the changes in habits that we as a consumer are looking at? And how much of our old habits are going to actually make it back, do you think? And how do you sit in that seat that you sit in as CEO of these brands and project out beyond one, three, and five years with any level of certainty? So when when a consumer decides what they're going to do, COVID changed it in a way that I think restaurants are being too quick to sort of pivot away from the basis of what restaurants were. You're seeing too many restaurants go to, hey, let's eliminate staff. Let's go to ordering without servers. And I don't think that's why an individual long term is goes to restaurants. I'm not a believer that it's going to go to the way that you're seeing restaurants go to today. I think hospitality is how you're going to win people and keep people in the long term. I think the level of service that you provide and the value that you provide is up to us to find ways to get that done for the consumer so they can continue to have that experience that we all used to remember and that we cherish sitting at a table, even if it's a Jimmy John's, eating a sandwich with a group of friends and then getting out the door fast, but it was an experience. It was something different about that environment. I mean, that goes for all restaurants. And by eliminating certain aspects of it to try to get cheaper labor and cheaper food costs and cheaper build out, I think the consumer at one point is going to tell you no. And with that being said, we're taking the approach of let's be the best at providing incredible service and an incredible experience to our guests. So they want to make us their choice, that they know they can come in and get that escape, have a good bowl, have a great meal, have someone interact with them that actually wants to be there. One of the brands that does a great job with that and throughout all of this is obviously Chick-fil-A. You go in and you want a sandwich and it's quick serve, but you walk out feeling so special and just treat it so well. 
And that's why they're thriving today. So that's really where my focus is, is how do we maintain a level of profitability, obviously, but how do we get the guests to realize that we're all in and making sure that experience is great for them? I believe that if you can provide a experience that they can remember, they're going to come back to you an extra time a month, an extra time a week, because you went out of your way to make it special. And that's sort of where I think that focus needs to be on for all restaurants, for all operators today, because COVID corrupted us in thinking that we could get away with the bare minimum. That's an interesting perspective. I can buy into a lot of it. In the example given with Chick-fil-A, I think Chick-fil-A had a decided advantage in terms of labor. Their values as a brand are pointed to not just the customer, but to those that they employ. So there is always going to be a better customer experience at a Chick-fil-A because the people working there have a different attitude about work than I'm here because I have to be here. They want to be there. What about, too, though, labor overall? I mean, in this world we're in with labor and now with what looks like a looming recession, we're dealing with the only two lines on a P&L that matter to an operator, right? So how do you manage against that? How do you assure that you can even find people to work at your locations, much less providing the same level of experience to the customer that you're talking about? So we started the conversation. You asked me about how the things that Jimmy did that were above and beyond. It's developing that helped us build a culture back then that people wanted to work for us. You've got to do that. You've got to show your staff that it's not always about, hey, you can get a quarter more or 50 cents more across the street. You've got to make them feel like they are part of something and that there's an excitement and the ship is going at such a fast pace that there's a way for them to advance and see more and more by taking a gamble and staying with you than running across the street for the next buck. And it's allowing your servers and your cooks and your managers all to know where you want to go and getting them dialed into what you're doing with them and the brand or the restaurant or no matter what, if even if it's a Draper shop, whatever it is, getting them to be bought into where you want to go and having them be part of it and know that we're walking in this direction and this is why. And that's something that I learned. It's something that I've been putting in place. It's something Chick-fil-A has. It's developing that culture. I'm not worried about the restaurants that are going to pay a dollar more. If somebody wants to go for a buck more, great. They're not the person that I want on my team. I want the people that I can get to buy in and understand where we're going and then allow us to do things with them that other restaurants and other people wouldn't do to get that culture to be built. So we'll sidetrack a second. We had a customer last October send me a letter at one of the BDs. His son is autistic. And he comes into the restaurant every month and his big excitement is that he comes in and rings the gong and it's therapeutic. And if you know anything about autism and stuff like that, those type of repetitions and that just brings them such great joy. Well, they drive about an hour to one of our restaurants to come and do this every month. We had a water leak and our kitchen was being torn up and we were hacking up the floor and stuff like that because we had to get underneath the slab to fix it so we were closed. The dad went out and called just to see because he didn't know if there was another BD. He just knew the one and called to see if anyone was in there and asked if his son could come in and just ring the gong. My manager had just left, but the phone went to her, her cell phone and she came back in to let this individual in and ring the gong. So let him do it for a little bit, talk to him, and then gave him coupons to go to the restaurant that was only about 15 minutes away, the other location to eat for free that night. 
So the dad sends me an email about his experience and just warms my heart, makes me feel so proud of what my manager did and how she acted. A couple months ago, we had them all into the restaurant and we rewarded the family, the autistic family, they make a wish to go to Disney World. But at the same time, we took a moment to sort of reward my manager and her family and I paid for a trip for them to go to Disney World because of she went above and beyond. Those type of culture building activities are what's going to get people to think about staying with you and building your future and getting them to buy into what you do. But she had bought into what I was preaching and what we wanted to do, put customers first. We were closed. She didn't have to come in. She gave this kid an incredible experience after she had been covered in dirt and sewer mess all day. And she came in and did that. And that's because she bought into the fact that you got to put customers first. And when you do that, and it comes down from everyone, from me down to my RDs and everything else, culture changes. And that's how you beat labor. And that's how you drive a company forward is by rewarding and installing that type of positivity into your staff. I think some people call that career development, and it sounds like you're very, very steeped in that discipline. I'm really, really excited and proud of the work that the team has done to get that to that point so quickly. We look forward to what's going to come, and I look forward to the challenges that I'm going to have because very rarely does an individual get to do what I did twice. If you had the run, you had a Jimmy John's. That usually happens to someone one time, and we're going to have that same type of run for a second time, and that's going to be a lot of fun to go on. Well, I'm going to keep an eye on this because it's hard for somebody to listen to you talk from your heart and believe that anything but good is going to be coming your way for yourself and for your franchisees. What about some contact info to let others find you again? So if you need to get a hold of me, you can email us at gmajewski at gomongo.com, G-M-A-J-E-W-S-K-I at gomongo.com. You can also go to gingisgrill.com and obviously put in anything and it will get to me. If you need to reach me any other time, LinkedIn or Twitter or Instagram, I'm on all of them. So Perfect. Greg, this has been a really fast-paced conversation. I've thoroughly enjoyed it and I'm looking forward to learning more about what you're doing and perhaps even connecting you with some people who might do well to know about it as well. Greg Majewski, CEO of Wildcat Investments and Mongolian Concepts. Thanks for joining us here on Franchise Today. Uh, Thank you, Stan. I had a great time. Well, that's a wrap for today. Next week, we're joined by another truly inspiring rising star of franchising who's on the same fast-paced trajectory as the story that Greg shared today about his Jimmy John's days. My guest next week is Tony Zaccario, who joined Stretch Zone as a general manager in 2017. And today, as president and CEO, he has propelled this brand to some 200 units with multi-unit owners, the likes of Drew Brees, on his team. Tony Zaccario, here next week to tell us all about it. Until then, I'm Stan Friedman, wishing you the best, the very best of all things franchising. And Franchise Today is out. Franchise Today is a production of FRM Solutions, providing best-in-class CRM tools to empower relationships with prospective and existing franchisees. No excuses, just solutions. Find them online at frmsolutions.com. Join Stan every Wednesday at noon Eastern for another live episode of Franchise Today. Or... As always, download episodes on demand at blogtalkradio.com or iTunes. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.